Last week, the 52-day trial of Jared the Monk Hutch concluded. Prosecution in the Regency Hotel murder trial has told the special criminal court that Jared Hutch, the man known as the Monk, was one of the two gunmen who shot dead a Kinahan gang member almost seven years ago and that he should be convicted of murder. The, the three judges who decide Mr Hutch's fate must now consider all the evidence, including whether to believe the prosecution's star witness, informer Jonathan Dowdall. Mr Graham said Dowdall was a master manipulator, a liar and a perjurer. He urged the court to exercise extreme caution and not act on uncorroborated evidence. This is In the News from the Irish Times. I'm Aideen Finnegan. Today, I talk to court reporter Alison O'Reardon about what happened in the Regency trial courtroom. Alison, the last time we spoke to you, it was late November last year. The trial had already been underway for six weeks, which felt like ages, and it was hearing evidence of Jonathan Dowdall and Jerry Hutch's recorded conversations in which the two men discussed what happened at the Regency, the Kinnahans, the Garda investigation, and much more besides. And after hearing those tapes, the trial continued throughout December, broke for Christmas, returned, and has now finally concluded after 52 days and 140 witnesses, with the three judges due to deliver their verdict in the case on the 17th of April. What's happened since we last spoke? Maybe we could start with the prosecution's case and their star witness, Jonathan Dowdall, who took the stand in December. What did he say? Hi, Aideen. Yes, I think it was November 28th, I think was the last time we spoke. And it feels like a long time ago. So much has happened. The trial ended on Thursday after 13 weeks. There's been the 10 hours of secret audio recordings between Jerry Hutch and Dowdle, numerous guard interviews, phone call data, endless hours of CCTV, eyewitness testimony from 27 national surveillance unit officers and four closing speeches. Not to mention those eight intense days of former Sinn Féin councillor Jonathan Dowdle on the stand. So Dowdle gave evidence in the trial despite the status of his witness protection programme application remaining unknown. So on December 12th, the last state witness Dowdle took the stand. He told the prosecution that Jared Hutch said that he and another man had shot Kinhin Cartel member David Byrne at the Regency Hotel. Dowdle told senior counsel Sean Galan that Mr Hutch said he wasn't happy about shooting the young lad David Byrne and David Byrne being killed. So in his direct evidence, the prosecution clips were played from those 10 hours of the audio recording of conversations between Mr Hutch and Dowdle where they were travelling north to a meeting in Straban in March 2016 in Dowdle's land cruiser Jeep that had been bugged by Garda detectives. And Mr Galan asked the witness to explain parts of what was said in those recordings conversations. So Dowdle said he agreed to help Mr Hutch by approaching Republicans in Northern Ireland to mediate in the Hutch-Kinnan dispute and when asked by Mr Galan what was meant by his reference to the three yokes in the covert recordings, the ex-politician said it was the three guns, the three AK-47s used in the Regency hotel attack. Following this then, Aiden, we had seven days of lengthy cross-examination where the defence senior counsel Brendan Grehan began by pushing to Dowdle that there were two big lies at the heart of his evidence, that Jared Hutch had collected a key card for a room in the Regency that had been booked for the night before the attack and that Mr Hutch had confessed to Dowdle that he was one of the attack men dressed as guardie who entered the Regency and shot Mr Byrne. Over those next seven days, Dowdle denied that he had told the two big lies in his direct evidence to the Special Criminal Court 
And he said that the meeting in the park took place on either February 7th or February 8th and that he wasn't 100% sure which day it was. He denied to Mr. Graham that he was a master manipulator, an opportunistic liar, that he was prepared to lie under oath, had a fairly mixed relationship with the truth and that he manipulated every situation to his own advantage. He further denied that he was caught on the audio recording planning mass murder, discussing getting people whacked and planting bombs. He also rejected the proposition that he used the promise of bomb timers as a bargaining tool to get dissident Republicans to he- mediate in the hutch feud. And then on the final day, aiding of his cross-examination on December 21st, before the court broke for Christmas, an interview was played to the courtroom of Dowdle hot-footing it onto Joe Duffy's RTE Liveline programme on March 9th, 2016. Well, how are you, Jonathan? You're all over the front page of the lot of newspapers today about your house being raided. What happened? Life is upside down at the moment, Joe, to tell you the truth. Uh, my family are in an awful state. My daughter won't go to work. She, she won't go to college. Um, Where Mr. Grahan said Dowdle played the indignant victim and denied any involvement with criminality following a raid by Gardaí on his home on the Navan Road. And... Um, the house was raided under Section 9 um, as being a suspected member of the IRA and they were in search of firearms and explosives. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- that was the reason why the, the, the help. I don't know why that is. It, it was a complete shock to me. The first I, I seen and known of it was... Um, what further evidence then did the prosecution present to link Hutch and the two others to this murder? So when we returned in January, intelligence analyst Sarah Sked, she gave evidence over two days and she said that Dowdle's phone records gave no clear opportunity for Dowdle to have met Jared Hutch on one of the dates the ex-counsellor proposed the accused confessed his direct involvement in the murder of Mr. Byrne. However, she said it was possible that this meeting in the Whitehall Park took place on the previous day, Sunday, February 7, 2016, as call records for Dowdle's phone show that a cell located on Collins Avenue in Whitehall oriented in such a direction as to potentially give coverage to the park was used at 3.16pm. But we know Dowdle had insisted the alleged meeting with Mr Hutch had incurred in the morning time. I'll continue my conversation with Alison O'Riordan after this short break. Welcome back. This is In the News from the Irish Times. I'm Aideen Finnegan and I'm talking to court reporter Alison O'Riordan about the Regency trial where Gerard the Monk Hutch is accused of murdering David Byrne and two other men, Paul Murphy and Jason Bonney, are also accused of participating in this murder. Alison, the three men each have their own separate defence lawyers and those barristers began presenting their cases just last week. One of the co-accused, Jason Bonney, called an alibi witness. What happened there? Yeah, so after the conclusion of the prosecution case, lawyers for Jason Bonney called two witnesses to give evidence on his behalf. So defence witness Julie McGlynn testified that she saw a BMW X5 Jeep, which we know is alleged to have been used by Jason Bonney to transport one of the raiders away from the scene on the day of the shooting. Well, she said she saw the vehicle being driven away by Mr Bonney's now deceased father, William Bonney, early in the morning on February 5th. 
She also said she spoke to Jason Bonney, who was working at a house renovation later that same day. She said the conversation took place with him between 2.45pm and 2.50pm as she couldn't get into the driveway as there was a truck parked outside the house. So she asked him to move it. And we know that David Byrne was shot dead in the lobby of the hotel at around 2.32 that afternoon. So she's saying that she spoke to Mr. Bonney around 15 minutes after the attack that afternoon. Miss McGlynn denied under cross-examination by Mr. Glan prosecuting that she was to be gifted a plot of land at the side of the accused home. She also denied she was not telling the truth when it was put to her that the accused father had never driven his son's Jeep that day. And then a second defence witness was also called to give evidence in Mr. Bonnie's defence. He was Peter Tyrrell and he said he was driving from Coolock to his home in Artane on the afternoon of February 5th when a black Jeep came up behind him and it was William Bonnie, the accused father, driving that Jeep is what he said. And then... Paul Byrne, he was called as a rebuttal witness by the state to respond to these two defence witnesses. And he said that he and his wife, he told Mr. Galan, his wife is Jason Bonney's sister. He said that they called to his wife's parents' house for lunch at Donnery Drive on February 5th and stayed until 4pm that afternoon. The witness said he parked behind his father-in-law's black Lexus Jeep, which he said was the only Jeep he drove, so not a BMW. W Jeep, a Lexus Jeep. And Mr. Burns said Willie did not leave the house at any point that afternoon and they'd heard about the Regency attack on the television or the radio during the course of the afternoon. Okay, so Paul Byrne is Jason Bonney's brother-in-law. Correct, yes. And Jason Bonney's father is now dead. So Paul Byrne would have had to have been called to kind of corroborate in the absence of William Bonney. Exactly, yes. Okay. So in Hutch's case, there was no defence except for a closing statement by his barrister. And I I guess because they don't have to take the stand, they don't have to cross-examine, it's up to the state to to prove the case. So like all barristers, he will have been trying to undermine the prosecution's case in the minds of the judges. So how did he try to do that? Yes, well, this is the case where in terms of the evidence against Jared Hutch, Mr. Grahan reminded the judges that there are no forensics against his clients. There's no phone records. There's no CCTV of him on the 5th. There's no evidence, he said, that he was even in the country on the 5th of February, never mind in the Regency, apart from Jonathan Dowdle's suggestion. That's what Mr. Grahan said. So Brendan Grahan, in his closing speech, he went bald-headed for Jonathan Dowdle and he set out a litany of reasons why the state witness couldn't be relied on and this was before the court even came to consider that he was a proven and admitted liar and perjurer. Firstly Mr Grehan said that Dowdle is a witness of bad character as he had previously received a hefty sentence for falsely imprisoning threatening to kill and waterboarding a man I think Dowdle received seven years and 11 months or something like that in the course of appeal for that offence and then there was also Dowdle's references in the audio to bomb making kidnapping and threats of multiple assassination, Mr. Grahan said. Secondly, the defence counsel, he said that Dale was tainted. He wasn't a neutral witness. He himself was charged with the murder of David Byrne up until the trial was due to start last October and that getting his murder charge dropped and him giving evidence were firmly connected. 
Thirdly, Mr. Graham said that Dowdle had admitted to lying to a previous bench of the Special Criminal Court in the Alexander Hurley sentence hearing matter. That's the man he waterboarded. And Mr. Graham said that he is a liar who had been caught out repeatedly lying and he carries on as if nothing has happened. The defence said the state's witness had repeatedly lied to Gardaí when they questioned him about the Regency in 2016 and he'd lied to Joe Duffy and Orsi's live line when he said he had no involvement in criminality. He described Dowdle in the live line interview as very good, very persuasive, a convincing, confident and practised liar. So counsel said it was Dowdle's instinct to lie and he tells all matter of lies, big lies, little lies, if he thinks he can get away with it and he'd lied to this trial, so the trial of Jared Hutch, about his relationship with former senior Republican Pierce McCauley, who was jailed for the manslaughter of guard Jerry McCabe. Dowdle said he had visited McCauley in his cross-examination in prison two or three times, but the defence were able to produce prison records showing Dowdle visiting McCauley 14 times between February 2015 and January 2016. So all that, Mr. Graham said, must raise huge alarm in any court's eyes when assessing the reliability of anything he has to say concerning Jerry Hutch. The lawyer told the court that Dowdle is a master manipulator who decided he would give evidence against Jared Hutch to get his own charge of murdering David Byrne dropped. He said the details of Dowdle's lies had to be dragged out of him like pulling teeth over the eight days in the witness box. Ultimately, Aideen, he said the prosecution case against Jared Hutch stands or falls on whether the special criminal court can believe the flawed evidence of this proven and admitted liar and perjurer. So and all these matters should cause the court as triers of fact on this matter to pause and to be extremely careful and cautious in not acting on the uncorroborated evidence of John. And I think Mr. Graham as well, uh, poor old Bart Simpson, I think he compared Dowdle to Bart Simpson and that he kept saying things to the effect of, I didn't do it, nobody saw me do it, you can't prove anything. Yeah, Brendan Graham, he didn't actually name Bart Simpson, but he referred to the quote of that famous cartoon character as being like Dowdle's answers in cross-examination over those seven days, in that Dowdle's first port of call was always to lie, then to justify the lie, and then say that nothing happened anyway, or it was all nonsense. And this was particularly to all the references on the audio to bomb-making, mass murder and kidnapping. I presume that Mr. Graham didn't actually say it was Bart Simpson because the quote is so well known. It spoke for itself. So it was unnecessary and more effective that way. He probably didn't want to trivialise the case, even though some of the tabloids the following morning on Thursday picked it up and used the illustration of Bart Simpson. I mean, I would have if I was a tabloid editor. How could you not? (laughs) Exactly. So is there a difference in how barristers try and persuade a judge that they might a jury? Because obviously, this being the Special Criminal Court, there's no jury in place. It's just the three judges. Yes, I suppose with the jury, there is more often an appeal to the emotions, whereas with the judges, it's a much more hard, logical analyst of the facts of the case. And obviously, the judges already know all the law, so they're not addressed at much length on that. So the barristers can go to town on the legalese rather than having to say what they mean in layman's terms and really hammer home the case on those legal points that are probably in Latin and what have you. Yeah, like they can get into like complicated and get deep down into the law. Exactly. So what are the main points then that the judges have to consider? So the real issue is have the prosecution proved that Jared Hutch's involvement in this 
required standard of beyond a reasonable doubt. In Mr. Hutch's case, it all comes down to two major issues, the credibility of Jonathan Dowdle and what the judges make of the audio or what Mr. Grehan referred to as that shining jewel that the prosecution contends it is which the states say contain tacit admissions to the murder by Jared Hutch with no denial or pushback from him against implications that he was centrally involved in the Regency attack. So the prosecution said that portions of the audio clearly show the accused was the man in charge and he had authority over the AK-47 rifles used in the attack. The state's contention is that Mr. Hutch's responses to Dowdle in the audio showed at worst a tacit acceptance of Mr. Hutch's central involvement in the Regency. But in truth, they said it was almost an expression of pride in the choice of the weapons and what wasn't in the audio was any denial. However, the defence said Mr. Grehan told the court last Wednesday that he challenged anyone to find any unambiguous admission by Jared Hutch to the involvement in the Regency anywhere in the transcript of the audio. He said there was lots of references in those recordings that contradicted the prosecution case and while there were numerous references where a court could conclude that the Hutch gang were involved in the Regency attack, he said the Hutch gang cannot be equated with his client Jared Hutch. So he said the prosecution had suggested from the tapes shown that on March 7th, Mr. Hutch had control over the guns used in the attack when he was allegedly bringing them up north to gift them to the IRA. Mr. Grahan said this was more than one month after the Regency. And to quote him, he said, News flash, Mr. Hutch isn't charged with firearm offences. He is not charged with possession of firearms. The prosecution had a choice of what charges to bring and they chose what charges to bring. Much of what is in the recordings the defence say could amount to Mr. Hutch getting involved after the Regency attack to try to deal with the fallout. He said the recordings could suggest that Mr. Hutch travelled north to speak to Republicans to try to find an alternative to more bloodshed and he said there was talk of mediation and Pete's talks that Mr Hutch was somebody to stand and be guarantor for the extended Hutch family. So the defence finally conceded there was arguably things said and discussed in the recordings that could suggest serious criminality on the part of Jared Hutch, but he reminded the court that his client is not charged with conspiracy to commit crimes and the prosecution had nailed its colours to the mast by charging Mr Hutch with murder. And then turning to Mr Bonnie and Mr Murphy, The judges have to consider whether they accept if the CCTV and mobile phone evidence of their car movements and their own movements that day satisfy them when they were part of the convoy of vehicles that, when they were allegedly part of the convoy of vehicles that facilitated the escape of the men who were involved in the criminality at the Regency Hotel. Okay, and just to go back to Jonathan Dowdle there for a moment. So we know that he pleaded guilty and it's the defence barrister's case that he is uh, giving evidence to kind of save his own skin and go into the protection programs, the witness protection program. But he has to wait to find out because we don't know the status of that application. Will, will he have to wait until after the verdict or could he potentially be in hiding before that verdict is delivered? Well, we know Dowdle is currently in Limerick Prison. He's serving a four-year sentence for a facilitation. He's appealed that sentence on the grounds of severity and it is due to be heard before the Court of Appeal on February 20th. So the last we heard about Dowdle's status was that he's still awaiting acceptance into the Witness Protection Programme. It's quite complicated as it just isn't him, it's his father and his family too. 
But in the presence of Dowdle on the day he began to give evidence in the trial last December, a detective superintendent involved in the witness protection programme testified that Dowdle's acceptance into it was entirely independent of the trial process and the evidence he gave to the court. And therefore, the verdict is immaterial to that decision. Okay, so now the judges have to deliberate and Alison, it must be said, like they have a long time to do it, the 17th of April. Why does it take so long? Because I suppose if you consider a jury trial, they'd still have to consider all these legal points, but they'd have to decide in a few days. Or is that a bad comparison? Is it an unfair one? Well, a jury verdict is one or two words, guilty or not guilty. The special criminal court also give a verdict of guilty or not guilty. But the difference is they have to justify in detail their reasoning. So that means they have to go through in very um, much detail and all the evidence. And it's a huge task, obviously, in this case. There's so much to consider. And they have to set out what they accept and what they reject. That's why it takes so long. And previously in the past, a special criminal court verdict was overturned where they the judges misstated a small piece of the evidence. Wow, okay. That's why they have to be so careful and so thorough. Like they're going through it in forensic detail. And that's why it'll take so long to deliver a comprehensive decision, which could in fact run to several hundred pages. It isn't unheard of for a special criminal court verdict to take all day. And I've even been in a case a few years ago where we had to come back on a second day for the judges to continue delivering the verdict. Wow, okay. Alison O'Reardon, thank you very much for joining us. For full access to journalism from the Irish Times, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. That's all for today. This episode was produced by Declan Conlon. In the news, we'll be back on Wednesday.